Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 126 through 128. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of s- for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome to the Panador. So good to have you all sitting up here. Uh, my uh, once monthly injunction against those of you who would spread out into the far nether regions of our space. Typically, Pastor Wes has called you forward and to him I am very grateful. So it's nice to have you close at hand so that we can engage in what is Christ the King Sunday. This is Christ the King Sunday for those who may not no, it is uh, a time that has been marked by the church now for about a hundred years. It's the final Sunday in the church calendar, the church calendar year, before we begin the new church calendar year with the beginning of Advent next week. And so for about a hundred years, this has been called Christ the King Sunday by Christians of every stripe, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestant Christians as well are celebrating Christ the King Sunday today. Now, of course, as Christians, we believe that Christ is King every day of the calendar, but it's appropriate for us to highlight the reality of Christ's kingship on this particular day as we head into the Advent season, because so easily Advent becomes for us something other than that. So easily we mistake the Advent season for a sort of sentimental babies are us moment. And that in fact is not what it is. The Advent season, the coming of Christ into the world, is the arrival of a sovereign king. It's the arrival of a supreme leader. And this arrival cannot be ignored. A king who would be the ruler over all the nations of the earth. This is something that the world must stop and take notice of. This is, in fact, why nations throughout the world will celebrate Advent and Christmas. 
this year as they do every year because this cannot be overlooked, this arrival of a king of all the nations. We've seen over the past two weeks in our nation how disruptive the arrival of a new leader can be when that leader's purview is a single nation. How much more the arrival of a leader over the entire world. Because leaders, kings, rulers, presidents, they are given power to govern. That is, they are given power to affect changes in a society. And so people, when a new leader comes into power, suffer some amount of anxiety, unsure as to how justly this new leader might lead, how righteously this new ruler might govern. There's concern. Will this ruler rule rightly for all people? Will this ruler, in fact, turn and oppress even the own citizens of that given nation, of that given kingdom? There's hope. There's longing in people that the ruler of the world will not. And so at any transition point, when a new leader comes into power, there is this point of anxiety. Will this person treat us fairly? The present hysteria in our country, of course, results from these very concerns. There are people who are feeling fearful, feeling anxious about whether we can trust the new leader of our land, the new king of our land. And the question that is on everyone's mind is, will President-elect Trump govern uprightly? Well, the answer, of course, is no. He will not. In fact, he may well govern so immorally as to match the immoral governance of our sitting president, President Obama. Time will tell. That may be somewhat of a provocative statement for you, but I say it only to highlight that our particular political sensibilities determine only who it is that we look at through rose-colored glasses. When we find ourselves at peace with an earthly leader, at peace with an earthly authority, it is because, generally, of our particular political sensibilities, and it is because we have decided or found it easier to overlook or forgive their injustices, to overlook or forgive their particular failures as a leader. Case in point, do any of you find it odd that those people, most, I should say, of those people who are most opposed, even protesting, the election of Mr. Trump support, continue to support our sitting president who over the course of his administration ordered some 500 drone attacks that resulted in the killing of 400 innocent civilians including 8 American citizens. 
President Obama, without question, is the drone attack president. Now, I have no doubt that President Trump will rule with equal injustice, if not more, if not more so. The point is that every earthly leader fails. Every earthly leader will fail us. Every earthly leader will steer off course, will move toward injustice, will make decisions and governing decisions that will lead to harm, even for the most marginalized, perhaps especially for the most marginalized in our nation and in our world. We can expect this, and you know this on a very personal level. We all know this on a very personal level. We have all experienced the ramifications of failure from earthly authorities, even in our own home, the failures of our mothers, the failures of our fathers. The failures of those authorities touch us deeply. They've shaped us deeply. We've experienced traumas on account of the failures of the authorities who were supposed to love us and protect us most. Likewise, the failures of our teachers, the failures of our employers... We've experienced the failures, certainly, of police officers. When it comes to earthly authority, failure abounds. If you've been around this church for any stretch of time, you've no doubt experienced pastoral failures. As one authority figure in this church... I can say with complete certainty that I have failed you, am failing you, or soon will fail you. I promise. (laughs) Maybe happening even now in this very sermon. And these failures of earthly authorities cannot simply be chalked up as mere incompetence, they can't be chalked up as mere mistakes. The failures of authorities are the result of authority figures' insecurities and shame and fears being perpetrated on all those people whom they lead. It is unavoidable that earthly authorities will fail, that their failures at times will be evil, and that those who are under their authority will suffer as a result of those failures, of those sins, of those shortcomings. This is the reality of the world in which we live. Enter Jesus. There is a longing in the hearts of all people for a Leader for a governor, for a ruler, who would govern with justice, who would lead uprightly. For a governor, for a leader, for a ruler who would not do so for their own sake, but for the sake of the people that they lead, the people that they govern. A king, a ruler, even who would lay down their own life for the sake of the citizenry. 
See, authority is something that is unavoidable. As long as there are more than, or there is more than one person in any gathering, more than one person present in any story, there is authority. Authority has to become present in that scenario. And so this longing for an authority that can be trusted, for an authority that will rule uprightly, has been present throughout all of human history. It's an ancient longing. It's been present in all people groups. It's certainly present in and among the nation of Israel. We see that recorded throughout our Old Testament scriptures, the nation of Israel longing for a just authority, longing for a righteous king, longing for a ruler that would not oppress, a ruler who would bless, a ruler who would fight for the rest and peace and shalom of all the people in Israel. On several occasions each year, the nation of Israel would make a pilgrimage into the capital city of Jerusalem. We spoke of this several weeks ago. And as they would go, this longing in the hearts of all people would manifest in song. They would put this longing into song. They would sing songs of longing and hope, so-called psalms of ascent, as they made their pilgrimage into the capital city of Jerusalem. They would sing about the hope of a righteous leader, the hope of a righteous ruler, the hope of a righteous Messiah, and the hope that God would somehow fulfill this longing. So I want us today, as we find ourselves in a place of particularly high civil unrest for our given nation, at a time when perhaps we are more easily convinced that earthly authorities are not worth hoping in, a time when it is more easy for us to see, easier for us to see that earthly authorities will fail us, that earthly authorities will let us down, I want us in this moment to enter into these songs of hope, these psalms of hope, sung by the nation of Israel to tap into that ancient longing that was present in Israel and no doubt is present in us and see if we can't map some of our hopes, some of our longings onto these ancient longings. I want to look at three songs of longing, psalms of ascent in particular. I want to look at the hope that is in those songs, the gifts of of that hope, the gifts that meet that hope, and the source of that hope. So these psalms in particular are Psalm 126, 127, and 128 that we read just a moment ago. And in these psalms, we learn of gifts from the hand of God, gifts from the only just and upright ruler the world has ever known, that are given to us as signs of his uprightness, signs of his holiness, signs of his mercy, of his graciousness toward us, signs that he is leading us into rest, into shalom, that he is putting back together our fractured world. 
And so these gifts that we see recorded in these three psalms are laughter, children, and I have to look, (laughs) and sleep. (laughs) I told my wife this morning, how ironic that on a night when my wife had a cough and my four-year-old peed the bed, (laughs) I'm preaching on sleep. Which I got none of last night. We'll start with laughter. We're already there. Psalm 126 speaks of laughter this way. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This psalm, Psalm 126, it has two parts to it. The opening lines of the psalm, the first half of this short psalm, Recount some unnamed restoration in the past. They point back to some period when God brought about great restoration for the people of Israel. The second half of the psalm intimates a longing that he would once again work out that kind of restoration for the people of Israel. In essence, the psalm is saying he has saved us before, surely he will save us again. We can see the way that he has rescued us in the past. This gives us hope that our longings for rescue in the present day will be met with yet another restoration. Now this word, restoration, is the Hebrew shavot. And the Hebrew shavot is a technical term that speaks to a complete reversal of fortune. It's this idea that when things are as bleak as possible, suddenly God can flip the world on its head. Suddenly God can break into the darkest of moments and bring the brightest of light. This term, Shavuot, is the term that's used by the prophets in Israel when they are speaking of the Israelites returning from their exile in foreign lands. It can be no more bleak than to have been exiled from your own land, to find yourself oppressed in a far-off country, and yet even there God is faithful to bring about restoration among the people of Israel, relief among the people of Israel that leads to laughter and rejoicing among the people of Israel. Surely each one of us can speak to moments in our lives when we have experienced that kind of complete reversal of fortune, where things were as bleak as they could be and suddenly were as bright as they could be. This is a universal experience of humanity. I can remember not too long ago, perhaps a little over a year ago, I got a panicked phone call from my wife, Acacia, because she had searched the house high and low, and our youngest son, Bodhi, who was just three at the time, was nowhere to be found. 
And this is the sort of kid that you have to be a bit concerned about when this happens. Because as some of you may remember, it was about two years ago now, two and a half years ago, that Bodie wandered off during one of our church barbecues in my backyard. And we had no idea. It was only when a neighbor happened to stroll through the alley, spot me, and say, any chance you're missing a blonde kid with chocolate over his face who looks just like you? (laughs) And we discovered that Bodie had made his way to the park on his own and was enjoying (laughs) some fun park time while the rest of us enjoyed the brewery. Since learned to close the garage door when two-year-olds are present at church barbecues. So he's a kid that you have to be somewhat concerned about. My wife called me in a panic. She and all of the rest of our kids had been looking for Bodie for a while. They had not been able to find him. I happened to be out of the city at the moment without a car. And so all I could do was patiently and graciously exhort my wife, look harder, look more, find him. And thankfully, a few minutes later, I got another call from Acacia. The kids had finally found Bodie. He had crawled into the back of the basement closet that's under our stairs and found the tub of winter clothes scarves, mittens, hats, boots, etc. He'd opened this large tub, climbed inside, pulled the lid back over himself, and was enjoying that he had the most epic hide-and-seek victory in the history of our family when the kids finally found him. And when my wife called me and relayed that we had found him, there is this overwhelming sense of relief but also immediately laughter, laughter, rejoicing. There's nothing sweeter than a very concerning, tragic, bleak scenario suddenly being relieved, suddenly being completely reversed, and it bubbles up into laughter in our hearts, laughter in our souls. This is the gift of God to us. He gives us this gift of laughter. Surely all of us could tell stories of our own life when this happens. It happens on a personal level. It happens on a community level. And it happens on a national level. And when this happens, when this kind of shavot, this complete reversal of fortune happens, it becomes very clear to us that the earthly authorities who failed my wife, and led to this daunting scenario, whether it be parents or pastors or presidents, it becomes clear that these earthly authorities are mere pawns in the hands of a faithful God who means to bring out good for his people, who gives laughter to his people, who lavishes us with laughter, in fact. All of us, no matter how bleak our situation may be, can know with certainty that there is laughter ahead. There is laughter at hand. Our good and gracious King is faithful to give it to us because Jesus reigns. 
the words, better days ahead, are always true. Now, second gift from the king. The gift easily forgotten. (laughs) Sleep. We read this in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Psalm 127 is a sort of pivot in the middle of the Psalms of Ascent. These Psalms of Ascent, these Psalms that the Israelite people would sing as they made their way into Jerusalem several times a year for the religious feasts there, as they made this pilgrimage, they would sing 15 psalms in particular, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. These 15 songs were on their lips as they walked into Jerusalem. And this psalm in particular, Psalm 127, is in the middle of those 15. It's the pivot of those 15. It's the place in which the longings of the people of Israel pivot into fulfillments. Pivot into demonstrated fulfillments, demonstrated kindnesses of God in their lives. And so we see here this very idea playing out at the opening of Psalm 127, wherein it tells us that all efforts to go about building shalom, all efforts to go about building a society, building institutions that would lead to peace in our lives, all efforts to build our house and garden the land and establish justice, all of it is entirely in vain without the participation of the king, without the participation of the Lord. Without him being in it, in fact, all of these efforts lead to nothing more than anxious toil and sleepless nights. If you are fighting for justice in our world because you somehow believe that justice depends on you, that justice depends on us, you will sleep very little. Very little. It is too heavy of a burden for us to carry. It will crush us. It will undo us. Your fights for injustice will have the opposite effect because, in fact, you yourself will begin to dismantle. Your very person will begin to dismantle under the weight of the fractures of this world. You will begin to participate in that fractured reality and all of your hopes and anxious toil to fight against it will only contribute to it, will only increase it. By contrast, Solomon here tells us that the Lord of justice, the one who cannot be thwarted, the one who is unconcerned by the establishment of kings and rulers of injustice, the one who sovereignly rules over them 
and uses them even as pawns in his scheming for the goodness of his world. That this good and gracious and merciful and powerful king gives to his people sleep. Sleep is ever at hand for us. Rest. Good night sleep. You know that feeling when after the day's labor is done and you sink into your bed and it envelops you like a heavy cloud instantly? Or perhaps for some others of you, that Saturday morning where there is no urgency and sleep merely lingers and morphs seamlessly into coffee and French toast. Do you know the hand from where that comes? Make no mistake, Jesus reigns. And he gives his people good gifts. Sleep is ever being given for those who would receive it. Take heart, you young mothers, you young fathers. God sees you, and his sleep is for you. He will not leave you sleepless for long. And third, another gift. We read in the closing of Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Psalm 127 leaves all of the thoughts of anxious toil behind, ushering us into this life of peace and shalom and trust in the only upright king. There is a promise here that not only is it God who supplies your days and nights, it is God who supplies the days and nights of those after you. It is God who preserves, God who sustains, God who gives a heritage. Children in and among a community are a sure sign of the ongoing blessing and favor of God on his people. If you ever doubt that God is with us, if you ever doubt that God is for us, if you ever doubt that God is gracious and merciful and kind and abounding in steadfast love, that he means to preserve us and lead us into verdant green pastures, only look and see. We're in a church where perhaps this is easier than some other places in Chicago. Just down the hallway from here, There is laughter and giggling and rejoicing as the children of this community testify to the promise and faithfulness of God to sustain life 
to sustain humanity, to sustain human personhood, to give us, our community, a heritage for the ages to come. God lavishes children as a sign of his goodness, of his provision. There is life overflowing, can't you see? Even in these troubled times, laughter and sleep and children and no leader, no earthly leader, no matter their failures, no matter their brokenness, no matter the injustice that comes from their hand, can thwart God's intention to lavish us in these ways. Laughter and sleep and children remain as signposts of who it is that runs the world, as testimonies that we have a good God and King and that he sees us. The great English Puritan, Richard Baxter, wrote, Our rest is our heaven, and where we take our rest, we make our heaven. If you are looking for rest in earthly authorities, either you will grow in delusion as you overlook the indiscretions of some given authority, as you thicken the lenses on your rose-colored glasses, or you will grow in despair as you see with increasing clarity just how much earthly authorities fail us. But there is a heavenly authority. There is a heavenly king. He gives us laughter. He gives us sleep. He gives us children. And he gives us a thousand other gifts, all of them testifying that he is ever for us, ever blessing us, ever protecting us, that we have no reason to fear. Jesus reigns. He is Christ the King, our only King. Hear this. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And peace be upon us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sure faithfulness of your hand over us. And we thank you for the testimonies of laughter and sleep and children, the reminders of your provision and of your goodness. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear your kindness in those good gifts. To not merely see the gifts and seek to make our place of heaven in the here and now, but to see the giver and to rest in you and trust in you and know that better days are ahead, that laughter is around the corner, that sleep is at hand, that you are sustaining us forever. 
Father, give us rest in this community, rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.